You now have one minute to abandon ship. The ship will automatically destruct in T minus I will win the crowd. I will give them something they've never seen before. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. gentlemen welcome in to the duel of the greats podcast folks we have already made it if you can believe it to episode 12 now of season one quick recap up to this point ridley scott after taking the victory last week is now leading our challenge in the duel of these greats six to five so big uh big week can spielberg take back and get pull back even with Ridley Scott. We'll find out as we discuss this week's theme, which is Stranded. We have Steven Spielberg's The Terminal that came out in 2004, and we will pit that up against Ridley Scott's The Martian, which came out in 2015. So guys, these two movies, actually two, I mean, you know, sometimes with 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 our themes, we uh, the, the movies might be a little disparate or and or or I should say even the even something like like Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down, right? Like, they're still two pretty different war movies as far as war movies are concerned, right? But I feel like these two movies are actually really quite similar. So um, that'll be interesting. What what are your guys's, What were your guys' first experience with both of these movies? Uh, like our Con Man week, this was a week where I initially saw both of these movies when they were in theaters. And the terminal came out. Back in 2004, I saw it with my family. I was really into filmmaking at the time, so I think Spielberg was going to release was kind of a big deal. So I saw that movie when it was in theaters and did not see it again until I had what I will call a very profound rewatch of it during the pandemic, which I will talk about a little bit later. And then The Martian I saw also in theaters when it came out and uh, really enjoyed it, but for whatever reason, never got around to watching it again until I rewatched it for this podcast. So I saw both of these in theaters. What about you, Steve? I could have sworn we saw The Terminal together, but perhaps I'm mistaken. No, it might have been a holiday movie. I, yeah, was... that, that sounds correct. It, it was around that time. Yeah, so it yeah, it, prime, it, 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 joint movie watching time for us. I do not believe I have seen it since then, obviously, until the rewatch for this. And I don't remember liking it particularly well when it came out. So I have thoughts. I'm very curious to hear about your pandemic story because I do not believe you've told this to me. So that'll be that'll be quite the uh, adventure. I, you know, us. this is this is going to be in a totally original. I don't think I've really told anyone in my life this story. Not even your True. wife. I don't even think, I mean, maybe I might have mentioned it to Maggie. Uh, I, I'm not sure. We had a newborn baby at the time that I rewatched this movie so that my emotions might have been getting a little bit to me. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I will talk about it in a little bit. Jeff, really what, or rather, back, back to Steve, what were your experiences with these movies? Uh, so that's the, Mar or excuse me, the Terminal. The Martian, somehow I didn't see it in theaters, even though you'd think 
that's right up my alley, you know, Space Flight, Ridley Scott. However, uh, I watched it. My wife and I have a a tradition on Valentine's Day because it's always chaos when you go out around that time. We try not to go out on Valentine's Day um, just because it seems silly to spend that much money and dress up and do all that. So we go out some other time. Regardless, we do fondue at home and watch a film. And one of my favorite ones that we've done was The Martian. For whatever reason, that was that was when we decided to watch it. If I recall correctly, your love for Ridley Scott, while I believe always present, wasn't fully realized until this film. Like, I remember discussing this movie with you and talking about how much you liked it, and then that kind of snowballing into you finally realizing that Ridley Scott may be your favorite director, which then, of course, was the seed of the idea for this podcast that we eventually got us to right here, right now. It's fate. So, it's destiny. There it is. It is one of my favorite movies. I have a list of, I think we recorded something. Maybe we'll drop it in your feed, folks, where we each talk about our favorite movies. But it's one of my favorite movies, and I consider my movies my favorite. Not necessarily for the best movie ever or whatever, but... It's something that I can watch again and again and again and again and never get sick of. And this is one of them. Did you read the book, Steve? I did after watching the movie. Okay, I'm not see, sure I, what I would have thought the other way around. I had read it before. Um, I believe so you I, recommended it to me. Yes. Before the I think, yeah, I think, out. yeah, that's kind of how this, how this came about. Did maybe I implanted that love of Ridley Scott. Look at this. Knowing it. Wow, Circular. It's a full I love circle. it. More yeah, power, so I, I'd, I'd, power. I'd read the book before. And I, I really like the book, and then I, I ended up... What about you, Jeff? So I also saw both of these movies in theaters. It's interesting, Nate, to hear you talk about um, some of these movies kind of from this time period for Spielberg, where I feel like you and I probably start from our prepubescent years up until maybe college, <laughs> um, maybe had a, a pretty similar sort of um, like philosophy outlook on on films and then you took it to the next step and was like hey i'm gonna go to film school and i chickened out and became an accountant so um you guys that, that's sorry to interrupt we... but sorry you you two have very similar views on on movies both just not necessarily in the the outcome of how you view things but the way you you think about them and that's part of the reason i wanted to get you two together and i'm, I'm I... glad it, it worked out I will say this for our listeners. I have discovered that Jeff and I love a lot of the same movies at the exact same time that you would hear it. So like when you were talking about your love of The Aviator, which is also one of my all-time favorite movies, like we literally found that out together as we were recording the podcast. So I do think there's kind of a period of time there where our souls were in sync, if you will. Well, yeah, look at that from afar. So that's it, it. It all comes back around. Right. But um, so I saw these I saw both these movies in theaters because like like you were saying, Nate, with, you know, especially this period. right? I think I've talked about it before, but this uh, the 1993 to 2005, you know, decade plus stretch for Spielberg is, is kind of like right in my wheelhouse there for for a lot of my favorites of his. And um, so this is in the time where my love for Spielberg is just kind of in overdrive and anything he puts out, I'm, I was going to see, you were not going to stop me from seeing an opening weekend. So I went and saw the terminal opening weekend, um, enjoyed it, thought, thought I liked it probably more than a lot of the, not that the reviews were bad by any means, but they weren't like 
I mean, Spielberg had been on such a hot streak up to that point, right? Because, you know, we've gone through the list, but you go from Jurassic Park to Schindler's List to, um, you know, Lost World and Amistad were, were a little bit, you know, dropped a little bit there in terms of recognition, but then back to um, Saving Private Ryan, and then it was AI, and then War of the Worlds, and, and I guess War of the Worlds was after Terminal, but uh, catch me if you can, that's the only one. Um, so, you know, just one after another. And so I was, I was like, yes, I'm absolutely going to see this movie. And I did. Uh, and then the Martian, I also saw in theaters um, because, you know, it, even though I may not be the Ridley Scott guy, like Steve is, I think just similarly as Steve likes Spielberg, I also still like Ridley Scott. He's one of those, there are certain directors, right? Certain actors, certain directors, certain writers, maybe even depending on, on um, who you are, but that just, if they're involved in something, I'm going to perk up, right? My ears are going to perk up and I'm, I'm paying attention now, right? That, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme, right? right? You, now you have my attention, right? So if Ridley Scott is attached to something as a director, it's going to have my attention, just like Spielberg would. So I was like, The Martian, um, okay. You know, Matt Damon, not always my favorite, but can be very good. And he was very good in this movie. We'll probably talk about that later. Uh, but a fantastic cast, right? Um, so I was, I was definitely like, this I am going to see. Jessica Chastain is, she's an all-timer for me. She's not only, is she, uh, she's just really talented. But anyway, um, and, she, and she's gorgeous. That helps. That helps. But, um, <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I, I feel like you're hinting at like, something I like, else. <laughs> I was like, nice. I was like, okay, yeah. So, throw it out there. You know, I don't think she'd be offended if she's listening to this podcast. So, Jessica, if you're listening, you know, please go oh, on. The show, you meet your wife, but no, no Jessica oh, Chastain no. surely is fine oh. with this praise. I think, I think, uh, <laughs> I think Jackie thinks that she's more attractive than I do. So, we're good there. <laughs> but anyway, so, we're getting off track. We're getting off track. Movies, here. By the way, yeah. just loaded with bombshells. Yes. We got Jessica Chastain, Zoe Saldana, Catherine Zeta Jones. Thank you. I couldn't remember her name. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I saw both of them. We're nailing, nailing the uh, diversity and exclusion inclusion. <laughs> but I've got it. I don't know if we'll get to it. So I wanted to point this out that I just thought this was funny. Okay. In the terminal, um, we, Diego Luna is in there of future Star Wars fame as he became Cassian Andor. Mm-hmm. And he, in the movie of The Terminal, is courting Zoe Saldana of Star Trek fame, which she went on to star as Lieutenant Uhura right. in the Star Trek movies. And part of that courting in their relationship involves Zoe Saldana's character, Saldana's character being a Trekkie in the movie. That blew my mind was, when I rewatched it. This was five it. years before she got into Star Trek and ten years plus before Diego Luna got into Star Wars. So... I thought that was a pretty fun little connection there. Uh, but yeah, so those are my two experiences of the movie. So, um, yeah, why don't we get into little little background, Steve? What are the fun little, facts? Little, I got fun, fun facts. facts. I love fun facts. Besides the one that I just gave, I hope I didn't step on your um, step on one of your fun facts here. Surprisingly, I have a lot of fun facts for these movies, so it's kind of hard to narrow it down. You may or may not. They're fun. They're fun movies. They're not surprised that they produce facts that are as fun (laughs) as. Funny how that happens. Yeah. For as serious 
as these two directors can be at times, these are two of the more lighthearted ones in their catalogs. Yes, I think they do pair well. I was actually, that was in my notes, that they pair very well in terms of being kind of, Tone. they have dramatic moments, but sort of lighthearted, just kind yes. of magical, cinematic moments. Whimsical. Yes. Whimsical. Well, some of that whimsy came from the location in the terminal, which is all inside of a, you guessed it, airplane, or excuse me, airport terminal. We talked about this when the Catch Me If You Can episode, when we did that, Steven Spielberg had trouble finding somewhere to shoot in airports. He had the same problem here, just literally, what, a year or two later. So they just said, screw it, and they built an entire inside terminal at the uh, L.A. Palmdale Regional Airport. Uh, that famous Los Angeles, the other famous Los Angeles airport. No, the other one. No, the other one. That's the one, the L.A. Palmdale Regional Airport. Regardless, they built it to code and everything. It was like an entire working airport terminal. Well, could have been. But they um, they they did that, and they filled it with extras, and I think that it came off really, really believable. I, I had no idea. Another fun fact, which if you were alive and paying any sort of attention at the time, you probably heard that this movie was sort of kind of inspired by a real-life Iranian refugee who found himself stuck in the Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris due to similar circumstances. Well, somebody stole his paperwork which arguably makes it far less um, far less of a, a fun backstory. Well, I guess less revolution whimsy, in the story. less whimsy in yeah. that story. The whimsy level goes down a few notches with that one. Uh, it's already fairly low, I guess, regardless of how the movie turns out. Anytime you have people being lined up and shot against a wall in Krakosia, you know, the whimsy level is going to big hit, regardless, regardless. So that's fun. Uh, they supposedly paid lots of money to this guy for the rights, but he he's not brought up, he's not attributed, you know, his story's not given any sort of mention in the film. So I guess they just wanted to make sure they had their bases covered in terms of being sued, but regardless, he uh, a real person actually kind of lives on this. Another sort of fun fact, Tom Hanks, his his accent and his characterization... I kind of found troubling at first, a little problematic when I'm on rewatch. You know, it's what, 20 years later. I'm like, this kind of feels like, hmm, I guess Eastern European face. What's what's the equivalent of brown face or black face, except for Slavic folks? I don't know. But apparently there's a there's a line that they're that they're walking. It's very, very close. This is very. uh... Go ahead. It's I, I think be careful i think he's okay but it's i agree there's there's a mild level of uncomfortableness where you're just like i think this is okay i think like he's eastern europe like he's obviously tom hanks is white like he would present as someone who maybe presents as like a white skinned person it's it's close um but i i I think it's okay but i agree it gets very close so it's it reminds me of uh Mark Strong and Body of Lies that we talked about, right? Like that one is definitely that one's even more problematic though. That one's me. a level above this for sure. I'm saying, yeah, but it's just because it's like, you know, it it doesn't <laughs> wasn't a big deal at the time for either of them, right. but it does kind of feel like this doesn't feel right. Well, when I learned one of the fun facts, it made it seem a little bit better, I guess. Although it's kind of like, of course, I got black friends, that kind of excuse. But apparently, he based the characterization on his father-in-law, Rita Wilson's father who's apparently first-generation Eastern European Bulgarian, actually. So that made me feel a little bit better. Presumably he 
talked to him about it to get some pointers. And at least one guy, one Eastern European, approved of his Eastern European face. So, um, oh, and then you get a bonus. Eastern European approved. That's what I didn't get canceled. Oh, no. We'll do that. More accent. Free. Free fun fact, fourth fun fact, John Williams, film composer, he composed a national anthem for the fictional state of Corcoria. I just thought that was kind of interesting. They went whole hog on it. But you know what? Even I'll give you a fifth fun fact. The footage that they show on the CNN, wannabe CNN network on the, in the airport terminals of the Corcorian Revolution. I'm going to keep doing that, by the way, so just get used to it. I'm sorry is actually real-life footage from the Romanian revolution that basically overthrew and finally got rid of communism in the 80s. So that was kind of cool. Your silence tells me that you're overawed by the funness of that fact. The cold Eastern European Cold War politics really gets our listeners talking (laughs) and engaged. I'm I'm still mulling over my head. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, I'm still mulling over in my head the amount of effort you're placing into pronouncing Krakosia correctly (laughs) when you just said it was a fictionalized country. Hey, Tom Hanks bought in. (laughs) If if Tom Hanks can do it, I can do it. You know, people say a lot of things about me, maybe. One of the things they always say is, I've got my finger on the pulse of Gen Z. And let me tell you, Cold War politics, that's where it's at. Anyway, box office, $78 million domestic, $219 worldwide, $60 million budget, so it made, made money. It basically, critically, was the definition of meh. So, it didn't get bad reviews, necessarily. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a normal Spielberg hit. <clears throat> Pardon me. One um, interesting thing that I, I read... I can't remember if one of you mentioned this critic earlier in our our season, but I know one of you have talked about him before. Matt Zoller Seitz is one of pretty famous American critic, and he has an opinion. Maybe we can discuss it later. But he says there are three. Well, first of all, this is a very specific. <laughs> this reminds me of a baseball stat when they're like, Shohei Otani hit the the most home runs of all time on a Thursday when the humidity is below 60% relative humidity and the sun is in gibbous. Or, you know what I mean? It's always super specific. But, in a dome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, Matt Zeller-Seitz said that he considers the terminal alongside War of the Worlds in Munich. Ironically, not, I mean, maybe not ironically, maybe this is part of why, but as the three best films made within the studio system, the comment upon the September 11th attacks. Well, that's pretty high praise. I'm not sure that I agree about the terminal. Munich, I think, is up there, but we can discuss everybody's just, second love favorite topic, so. terrorism, later if we want. Sorry, what'd you say, Jeff? I said we've discussed my love of War of the Worlds, so. It's great. I'm not going to fight anybody praising that one. Yeah, it's good. I think we're going to talk about it, maybe some in one of our other episodes. I don't know. Uh, I couldn't find that this movie won any awards of any substance whatsoever. So it just kind of came and went. Steven Spielberg actually said that he, we talked earlier, but he kind of got in the habit of doing dark movie, fun movie, dark movie, fun movie. He specifically wanted to do this movie after Catch Me If You Can because he felt like he and the country needed something kind of happy. 
or at least something that could, quote, make other people smile. And this is a time that we need to smile, is the quote from, uh, from when he made this. So there's your fun facts on that. The Martian. Pardon me one second. <clears throat> Sorry, I was trying to mute, but I couldn't find the button. Matt Damon actually got Ridley Scott to direct this movie. Apparently, once he presented it to him, it took like four hours, and Ridley Scott was like, basically said, and I'm quoting, "Why the fuck aren't we doing this?" He was so he was so excited about it. The original screenwriter, who adapted, can we, can we back up for a second? Yeah, I feel like we need more context to that here. Like, does does Matt Damon and Ridley Scott have some sort of relationship here? Is there? The biography like, I'm not aware. I'm not implied aware. that they did. So, but from what? From where? From who? I don't know. I couldn't I think about it. There weren't any other movies before this one. Connect the dots. I don't They've know. They've been in one since, but... I, I don't know. I didn't dig that deep on my fun facts. All right. Fair we enough. can... We... I'm the historian you are, but go ahead. Hey, hey, We the original... You know, I, I may have dug deeper when we had the original format, but now it's just, you know, quick hit, bam, fun facts, in and out. So I didn't choose to go much deeper. Uh, it, it did. So the context, though, in which it, it said that he presented it to him, that Matt Damon presented it to Ridley Scott, it said it was after he called around a bunch of directors he knew and liked from working on other product or other projects. And so that did that does make me think that they knew each other somehow. But who knows? Sorry, something in my throat. All right, uh, next fun fact. Oh, sorry, I didn't finish with that. the first part of that fun fact. So the screenwriter, Drew Goddard, who also wrote, and I, I don't know if he directed, but he wrote Cabin in the Woods. It's a very good horror film, horror satire. He adapted the Andy Weir book and was originally going to direct the movie, but he dropped out because he got the, the surefire, no doubt, offers to do a Sinister Six, Sinister Six, good Lord, Sinister Six movie. And to keep working on that Daredevil Netflix show, he was going to take it over, apparently. Both of which, both projects were canceled. And by the time he came back around, Ridley Scott already had this in his hands. So I kind of feel for that guy. Anyway, um, there's a couple other fun facts, but they're mostly about production. I think I'm going to wait and talk about those uh, as we as we proceed into the film. I will hit this one, though. Would you guys have guessed just, you know, if you, if someone asked you gun to your head before we talked about this, what is Ridley Scott's highest grossing movie? Would you have guessed the Martian? Because if you didn't guess that you would have got shot in the head. It blew my mind. I think it's one of those things that makes sense when you hear it. I don't know if I would have guessed it, but then when you hear it, it's like, well, inflation, like movies generally kind yeah. of make more, well, you know, we think of like Alien as being this huge hit, but like it probably in the context of today's money wasn't a huge hit. It makes sense. I don't know if I would have guessed it, but it makes sense. I still think Gladiator would be number one, but it wasn't. Who's this? That's true. Gladiator would have been a good one. But yeah, like you said, especially with uh, like Alien and Blade Runner today seem like they're these tent poles of Hollywood. But yeah, when they were released, they were just kind of they had to be almost rediscovered to be the classics that they are today. So, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of plays with the perception a little bit, but that's a good point on gladiator. I would have, those are definitely gladiator, maybe black Hawk down just cause war movies tend to do well. Yeah. But well, yeah, it blew my mind when I first saw the number 630 million, by the way, worldwide. 
on a budget of 108 million. When I saw that, I was like, "That's got to be really high up there." And so I started digging, and it's it's his highest. So and that's just like just for that kind of a movie, that's a big number. Like there's right? some stuff that happens, but it's kind of a talky movie, you know? Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah. When you think of like space astronaut movies, it's not nearly as tense or as action packed as even something like Gravity. So that's interesting. It's one of those. Well, we'll get into it, but to me, it's very much more than just what it is on the. It's, What's the cliche? It's more than the sum of his parts. It's like everything is just so well done that when it comes together, it's dang near perfect. Anyway, critics agreed with me, as they normally do. Gave it almost universally positive reviews. Uh, it was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture. Nominated for six BAFTAs, including, including Best Direction for our boy Ridley Scott, who's never going to win. Side note, we, Jeff and I talked about this at lunch. This was going to be his best shot this year for Napoleon. And then, boom, one weekend, Barbenheimer. We're recording this the weekend of Barbenheimer, by the way. Greta Gerwig and Christopher Nolan are both going to beat him, right? Like, there's no way one of those two does not beat him out for best director. Actually, let's have an aside real quick. Okay. Thoughts on this. So actually, I think what what we ended up at, uh, or where we landed, was that because of the nature of both having biopics, Nolan and Ridley Scott are actually going to split the vote, and then that's where... Greta Gerwig is just gonna slide right up through there and uh and nab this Oscar. I feel like this has happened before where two similar movies have split things and then somebody who you don't think is gonna win comes up and wins. And it just feels like that with with Scott and Nolan both being so deserving and not having one, it totally feels like that's what's gonna happen. Because it's it the does, yeah. yeah. It does feel like it's it's a vote splitting year where at least as of June twenty fourth, right? Or July twenty fourth. I don't know what else is going to is supposed to come out, but so you heard it here, folks. Duel of the Greats podcast, July twenty fourth, two thousand twenty three. Greta Gerwig is your winner for best director in the twenty twenty four Oscars. I'd be okay with that. I really like Greg. Yeah, maybe maybe we can have a an Oscars retrospective later. Yeah. Uh, as like an an extra episode. We'll I'd see. certainly be into it. One of our coworkers suggested it. Shout out if you're listening. You know who you are. All right. So, anyway. um, oh yeah, the last award that I thought was kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys remember this, but this was one of my first. I feel like one of the first things I remember about this movie. It famously won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. Because Ridley Scott also won the Golden Globe. They split the director award at the, at the Golden Globes, and he won for Best Director, Musical, or Comedy, and it just. It's it so me hysterical out. to me that that's the that's the big Hollywood award that he gets. Famous comedy <laughs> musical director Ridley Scott finally being rewarded for a lifetime of work. Oh man, I'm I'm glad they really got him the award that he has deserved all along. Fantastic. So glad you brought that up because I was it's about good to, to see bring someone that up. be recognized. Yeah. I still don't understand. I mean, obviously the Martian. There's humorous elements, but. I guess they just really wanted to give it some praise and it wasn't going to win best picture. It's, it's the Hollywood foreign press and they're stupid. Um, they just have like, they're so easy to lobby because there's only like 80 members. And so the studio was probably just like, look, Scott's not going to get a nomination on the, on the drama side. We're going to call this a comedy and throw some money at it. And it worked. That's how you do it's it. Also Kristen Wig. It's also exactly. worth noting that 
I'm pretty sure they're so stupid. I think I read this that like they're not even broadcasting the go- like the Golden Globes are going to go away entirely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's this coming award season, but yeah. Well, they just got bought, right? Like from the Hollywood Foreign Press. They don't even do it anymore. They don't like, even do it anymore. And I think year. the people who bought it are just like we're not even gonna put on the awards anymore. Yeah. Award shows are like famously don't pull in ratings, and you know, he got Ridley he got Ridley Scott winning Best Comedy Director. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> Anyway, those are your fun facts. I hope you guys had fun had listening to all the facts. Would you like to hear some categories? Will not be as fun as the fun facts, but insightful categories? Please. Okay. Kid me. Uh, here we go. I will say this is kind of our second week in a row where the visual storytelling aspect, we can talk about it a little bit. Um, some thought that we sort of had was maybe the both the directors are working more with constructed sets. Uh, whereas we've talked about them working uh, kind of in those period pieces, actually shooting on location. Here they're both working with these constructed sets. Um, but I would like to talk more about uh, two things. Uh, with the characterization and acting, we have two actors here, Tom Hanks and Matt Damon, who are quote-unquote serious actors, who are doing a little bit more of comedy. I would say Tom Hanks started a little bit more as a comedy actor so it's probably not as much of a stretch for him i think there are people out there that still kind of see him as funny and that a lot of his movies have funny moments matt damon i don't know if that's so much the case um so but again also you just have two a-list actors that are really at the center of this and i think it's interesting to see what these directors do and then of course uh, our exploration of theme this week is uh you know the the whole theme of the week is this isolation and loneliness these characters are stranded they're stranded in very different places and in very different ways and are kind of constrained by by different things. They also both exhibit, uh, in, in different ways, uh, kind of exhibit sort of problem solving. Um, in the terminal, the uh, Tom Hanks character has to basically figure out a way to make a living and make money and uh, sort of build these relationships with people around him. Or of course, as uh, Matt Damon in The Martian has to figure out a way to be rescued and communicate with NASA from Mars and jerry-rig a lot of the science uh, to literally keep him alive. So you kind of see uh, in a very kind of contrasting ways, but I think you see them presented in similar ways visually uh, in the movie of how the characters have to think through this and figure that out. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, real quick, before we dive into the uh, the categories, so I looked up who were the best director nominees this year, why Ridley Scott wasn't nominated for an Oscar. So we've got George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road, Lenny Abrahamson for Room, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu for The Revenant, and Adam McKay for The Big Short, which is funny because you talk about Ridley Scott winning the Golden Globe for Best Comedy, and then we've got Adam McKay, who literally was a writer for Saturday Night Live and started out making comedies like Anchorman, and we've got him ostensibly stealing the Best Director nomination away from Ridley Scott. That's just a funny I almost thing. Uh, and I tell you what's weird about that is I see no issue with flipping those nominations because The Big Short, while dealing with a serious subject, to me is more of a comedy film. Absolutely. I think of that as more of a comedy. I don't understand why that wasn't nominated in the comedy and just flip The Martian over to the, well, the drama. It, this, this is for the Oscars, though. So that's 
So they didn't, okay. even, they didn't have the split there. So, but it's just funny that like the Oscars is always, even though comedy is, is, is <clears throat> eligible, Oscars are always kind of seen as the more dramatically inclined. Was this after the, the large Hadron Collider was turned on and our universe went into a wormhole because somebody gets CERN on the phone. <laughs> We've been in, we went to some sort of strange alternate pocket universe when that thing got flipped on. Just look at what's happened since regardless. Right, what theme are we starting with, fellas? Nate, that's your do... call. You're the professor. I think uh, we should start with the actors. Because I feel like last time we really ended with the actors, and I'd like to talk about them um, a little bit. Because I think they are both fantastic, Matt Damon and Tom Hanks. And they have great supporting casts around them. Uh, we did talk about there is a little bit of a difference in I want to get you guys' opinion on this in the fact that Tom Hanks is acting with other people and his isolation is more about him being unable to leave. Whereas Matt Damon really has to carry his whole movie and the comedy just kind of comes from his just sort of being down to earth and quirky and sort of talking through the science of all this and making that a very uh, enjoyable thing. So they're very different performances, but they both very much make me laugh. I, I think that Tom Hanks in the terminal is absolutely hysterical. And there's a number of moments in this movie rewatching it where I just completely laugh out loud and maybe I'm kind of a sucker for it. Maybe other people don't feel that way about it. I mean, which I guess I'll just ask this, which do you think, which movie do you, think is funnier i mean because they're they're both sort of these comedy dramas is there one that you find funnier where the actor is elevating the comedic material i would personally say the terminal i find to be funnier um i think there is because even though um matt damon does have sort of funny moments you know where he's he's talking about um, the the disco tracks that are on so and so's iPod or whatever, and then he's talking about using his own poop to fertilize the the potatoes and things. Um, I mean, like those are those are funny moments, you know. But it's there's like this underlying horror of just like he is trapped on Mars, and you know, there's these massive windstorms that come through, etc. You know, whereas like whatever um you know the victor Navorsky character in the terminal is going through you know he's just kind of like stuck and he'll eventually probably get out at some point and things will be probably okay so it's a little bit easier to kind of set your mind at ease without that underlying tension and also i think just you know we talked about we talked about the problematic nature of tom hanks and and you know, being the Eastern European face and all that. But at the same time, I do think like there is an easier avenue towards um, having a little bit of humor when you can sort of manufacture misunderstandings because of language barriers and accents and things like, um, like at one point he's talking to the Diego Luna character and he's saying in his accent that Zoe Saldana's character's former boyfriend cheated on her but because of his accent it sounds like he's saying shit he eats shit and so he's like what what are you saying he's her boyfriend eats shit like you know those types of things like i i did find that funny because i'm you know uh, maybe i'm an easy mark like you were saying nate but uh it, it, it feels like an easier avenue in that whole movie to introduce bits like that that make it funny and make it funnier in a more lighthearted way so i felt like that 
that movie of the two was funnier. There's also this moment that I love where not only is it like a lost in translation, but there's kind of a they under characters understand each other, but there's kind of this uh, they're not reading their attitudes in the same way. Uh, the the Stanley Tucci character, who is the you know the the airport director, who's basically just trying to get rid of him whatever way he can. There's a scene where he's he's sitting, and he's explaining to him, we have asylum laws in this country. And if you can, if we can establish that you are afraid to go back to your home country, and he's like, oh, this is this is great. I do. I do. And he's like, so all you got to say is you're afraid to go to your country. He's like, so I'm going to ask you right now, are you afraid to return home? And he goes, no. And yeah. then like as as they're trying to like take him out, he's like, OK, never mind, Victor. And, and he goes, OK, I am having fear of ghosts. I am having, <laughs> yeah. like, like, you know, he'll say he's afraid of something, but. And then also the moment when, which actually it's a really powerful moment. First, when he helps the guy get the medicine through for his his father, um, and he basically he purposely tells a lie and says that it's for a goat, and the guy, like crying, comes back to him and says, "Thank you, thank you," and and he takes all the medicine and there's kind of this pause and he goes, "He who really loves that goat," <laughs> and just like just like small little subtle things. I agree, Jeff. I think it's like. It's a little bit easier to mine that for comedy than it is because Matt Damon's character is so isolated that he's almost doing like a one man show and he's great in it. But I think it's harder to pull the comedy out of that. And those both those moments you described are just like you talk about Tom Hanks's uh, comedy background. It's always funny because, you know, when I was like first coming of age and watching movies, that was when Tom Hanks had just started to turn serious and started winning Oscars. And then. You know, Apollo 13 had come out and my dad was like, yeah, you know, Tom Hanks used to be in he used to be a comic actor. He's in comedies all the time. I was like, really? And then I find out, you know, movies like The Burbs and stuff, which I absolutely love that movie. But those two those two scenes you described, Nate, have that sort of deadpan, like classic comedic Hanks. That is just just that ability to vacillate in between these powerful dramatic moments and stuff like that is part of what makes him the legend that he is. And it's just both those scenes are fantastic. I agree. You guys talked about the two, two of the funnier parts in the terminal. So I'm not going to belabor those points, except for <laughs> this is the first time I've seen the terminal since I've been an attorney, and I've had pretty much that conversation with clients or potential clients, where it's like, if you say X, Y will happen. Now I'm going to ask you some questions, <laughs> and, and almost, almost, you know, invariably something like what he did will happen. So it's like, Oh my God, I, I laughed out loud during that part. Also, Tom Hanks has a really good, but understated physical comedy presence. I feel like, and he had me like almost just not almost literally laughing out loud. Sometimes when he kept coming back to Zoe Saldana's line, holding his papers and stuff and just the way he moves. I, I even think the, the, the dancing after he has uh, done the woodwork and the painting on the wall, yeah. he's like shimmying backwards and he turns around. There's like this whole crew of construction workers. He's like, Oh, and he's like, gets scared. Like even just that little dance. I just, that moment kind of, it just, I don't know. It cracks me up. He, he just has that ability. I think yep. uh, he's that, great. in a way that other actors don't. And he really is underrated as a comedic actor now. When it, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, of course he did start that way. My first memory of him, honestly, is Forrest Gump and, and movies after that. So I never really knew him as a comedic actor, even though there's funny parts in that. But on the 4th of July, my wife and I watched A League of Their Own. And I'd never seen it. 
And I'm like, he's really funny in this. Like, Yo, really, really funny. You had never seen League of Their until 20 days ago? Correct. Oh, my God. I know. And it's wow. Now, Millie it's, has seen that movie before you. Instant five star, five out of five star. Oh, it's a fantastic I absolutely love movie. that movie. We watch that it's all the time growing up. We watch it with Millie. We got her to like it. It's fantastic. I know. It's one of these. I'm like, I can't believe I haven't seen this. But I have a Dottie Henson Funko Pop. They make Funko. Anyway. All right. We're not going down this route. Um, I want to watch this show. Brandon, our producer, said that the show is good, although I think it got technically canceled they're still going to do the second season but you, it's funny you say you have a Dottie Henson crush because I I kind of think I have a crush on on that was Gina a, Davis I said I had Funko Pop not a crush oh but Brandon Brandon has a crush oh Brandon has a crush oh my bad my bad but I after didn't... after seeing Thelma and Louise and then seeing this I'm like I don't know man it's all about Gina Davis anyway I love my wife if you're listening I love you so much I miss you it's a tall drink of water she is. She is very tall. Anyway, back on track. Back on track. The Martian, I agree. It suffers. Um, the one-two punch the terminal has is the the lost in translation accent thing, and the stakes are so much lower. So yeah, it, it's it's easier to be funny. I feel, and I think part of the reason the Martian succeeds, I believe, at least in my mind, is the dialogue and the way that the way that his character narrates through things and it makes it interesting to see one guy doing stuff all by himself. But, um, and a lot of that tracks the book, I think really well, but I don't think some of the dialogue is very funny. Some things that are supposed to be like really, really funny. Don't really land for me. They're just, they're more like, huh, you know, I smiled, but I'm not rolling on the floor. Like for instance, that disco song, you know, turn the beat around starts playing. At one point on his his log, I don't know what the name of the song is, and he's like, "No, no, I will not turn the beat around." And you know that's that's kind of funny, but it's it's more like eh, you know, great. And then the whole space pirate bit towards the end is a hilarious observation, but it's more of just a you know, I'm smiling thinking about that, not necessarily. God, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like it's hilarious, or it's not. It's it's funny to people who think that sort of thing is funny, right? Like if you're that into, you know, if you're a super smart astronaut who happens to know about maritime law, then, you know, that's a humorous little thing to chuckle to yourself about. But yeah, it's, I felt more like the Jessica Chastain character, right? Where there's the scene where uh, Michael Pena is, uh, that's his name, right? Michael Pena, that character? That where he is communicating via computer with Matt Damon's character and he's saying, you know, it's like, I love the way they're ragging type, on each other. Rat boy type stuff where they're like talking about how much they hate each other and wanted to leave them behind and everything. And Jessica Chastain is the captain is just like, Oh, don't say that. And you can see she's so like, yeah, embarrassed, and she truly really feels bad and everything. And that was kind of like, I was that, I felt that, you know? So it was, uh, yeah. I, it, I, it, I like their kind of, it is kind of funny banter. And it, I, I did kind of make me smirk at the same time, but I was also just like, you know, there's a, when you say like, oh, we, we really wanted to leave you to die or something to that effect, then it's just like, I mean, considering they kind of did, it's, it's one of those things where he thought he was funny gone. because it's true. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, I think we're all in agreement. The Terminal is a funnier movie. Which was not one of the categories, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> in the I vein mean, of the acting. I'm glad you brought it yeah, up. Yeah, I think the, in vein of the, the acting. Yeah. Category. I mean, like we talked about, these are both 
funny movie. I mean, they're both com- one won an award for best comedy, best comedic director. <laughs> I I think it's funny because we talked about how um, Terminal kind of has this natural advantage in the comedy factor, whereas when we look at the theme of isolation and the theme of being stranded, I feel like The Martian is going to have that natural advantage just because as as uh, we've I think all three of us have kind of already stated, the stakes are so much higher there. And it's so interesting to see him get because like it it starts in the most like abject, hopeless way. Um, the book, uh, if you ever have read the book, the 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 opening line of the book is something to the effect of like, well, I'm fucked like that. That's literally the, the very first line of the book uh, because of where he starts. He, you know, he has a very limited food and water supply. He's going to run out of food. He's going to run out of water. And he's basically kind of just going through this list of like, well, here's how I'm probably going to die. Um, it starts at the lowest of the lows. And for him to basically be able to kind of think through it, I think even if you're not a scientist or not into science, I think it's more interesting to see his isolation and to see his problem solving how he works his way out of that and particularly how he gets to a place where he can communicate with nasa and actually communicate that he is still there so in in my opinion the martian kind of wins that just because it has that same natural advantage uh, that the terminal has with the comedy yeah i would agree with that like there's the when it comes to mad damon's character in the martian there is a scientific hurdle that he has to that he has to get over in order to save himself and stay alive until he can be rescued but with uh, tom hanks's character in the terminal it's more of a sociological issue you could you could say it's a uh, not sociological it's a, but you could say it's a legal issue as well but um you know it's it's dealing with other people and learning a language and because, you know, like I did kind of like that scene where he he goes through the bookstore and he finds the um, the the book in English, the tourist guide book of New York. That is the same as the book that he has in his native language. And so he sits there at night and he's comparing the books and learning how to speak English through that. I don't think that's something that's all that realistic that he could actually learn English that fast. Maybe he had some you know, additional training beforehand that we didn't know about that, that made that a little bit easier, but regardless for the, for the movie, it's, it's fine. Uh, but you know, something like that is, it's interesting, but not nearly as interesting as like, how do you grow plants on Mars? How do you find, how do you cultivate water for yourself when, you know, there, the atmosphere is completely different than ours. The, the rules of science are different on a different planet. So how do you factor that in and all that stuff? And, you know, when the and you see it really like the worst case scenario for Navorsky in the terminal is he tells somebody accidentally that so and so ate shit, right? <laughs> when all he means was that he cheated. But in the Martian, worst case scenario, I mean, besides death, but coming right up to it is when the he miscalculates the oxygen levels in uh, his uh, greenhouse or whatever he was making, and it, the whole thing blows up. Right. So then he has to start from scratch, essentially all over again. And this whole thing sucks. So, yeah, there's just those those sorts of things contribute similarly to, like you said, about how the terminal is easier for comedy. It's definitely easier to have that sort to to, um, really mine the idea of 
being stranded, being alone, having to fight through those obstacles just to stay alive, you know, whereas staying alive never really felt like a huge concern for Tom Hanks in the terminal, but it was obviously the one and only concern for Matt Damon in the Martian. What would you guys rather eat ketchup and saltines and poop potatoes? You had to choose poop potatoes. Um, I would go with the ketchup and the saltines. Even if the potatoes weren't made of poop, I think I would still, or not, or we're not fertilized with poop, I should say. I still think I would pick the, they look more appetizing, if I'm not going to lie. I think just saltines, I wouldn't even need the ketchup. I think I'd rather eat He did, sal- kind of made it worse, didn't he, by putting the ketchup Yeah, I, I think I'd just eat saltines and drink a lot of water, as opposed to eating just potatoes. With no, because really all he has is the ketchup. If I could have like butter and all this other kind of stuff, I'd probably go with the potato. But no, I think I'd go with the saltines. It's a it's a tough dilemma. And that's what I've learned from this exercise. And then when he gets the uh, when he finally gets some money from returning the carts, first of all, hearkening back to nearly twenty years ago when uh, a junior Whopper or burger from Burger King was only seventy four cents, right? is insane to me but um the the fact that he goes straight to burger king steve knows my love for burger king <laughs> um, i i we try not to eat fast food that much and so i don't get to eat it that often but when i do go fast food i do so like the burger king we can just wrap this up now just voting for the terminal because the prominent burger king replacement <laughs> You guys also see in the background a Borders books. I that did. Was, I saw that. That was, was a like, blast from the past. Now, for our young yeah. listeners, people used to buy books <laughs> bookstores, and yeah, they're the paper. Most, they have like kind the of multiple. Yeah, if you were confused away, by talking about the Martian book, this is what Nate is talking about. Yes. So far and away, the most popular place to go and purchase those books with money was Borders books could do some serious damage to your paycheck if you were in a borders books were multiple so, bookstores back in the day walden books oh, yeah. remember walden books uh-huh. and they had mm-hmm. barnes and noble obviously is still around hanging on but yeah this was it was a thing it was a whole industry unto itself you know you guys bring up something interesting talking about, well i guess i brought it up uh well no you did you talked about burger king anyway one of the complaints that was addressed, um, I guess, either in one of the books or on Wikipedia, I can't remember, some critical complaints about the terminal. I guess some people at the time were like, there's too much product placement. It's too, uh, you know, obvious companies and all this. And the the context in which I read this was somebody saying that's that's a stupid criticism because that's literally kind of the whole point. He's trapped, was surrounded by the plenty of American capitalism, and yet he can't do what he you know he's struggling to get by it's kind of an allegory in that way i read it that way too and i definitely saw it uh that way i, I didn't see it that way when i first saw it when i was a high school student but i definitely see it now is like he ostensibly can take advantage of all of the consumerism and all of these mm-hmm. products that america has to offer um but it's it can't get him any closer to the america that he wants to actually touch and feel that's that's how i read it that was a huge thing that i kept thinking as i was watching these two movies especially the terminal because i hadn't seen it in so long and i had seen the martian so many times but in the martian he's trapped on a desolate you know planet with no resources really he you know he's the complete opposite of having 
in the land of plenty surrounding him. However, he has essentially an entire country's natural resources and all its top minds working on getting him unstranded. Whereas in the terminal, our guy is surrounded by modern manna from heaven, yet the the same, you know, bureaucratic uh, institutions and no one's working on helping him, right? In fact, they're working to stop him. So well, the, I think the contrast really, was very interesting. Yeah, and I think it really hits home when you see, like, he discovers, oh, the the quarters, right? Where they even make a little bit out of it, like, oh, he, he discovered the quarters. But where he gets the carts, and he takes them back to the cart return, and this cart return was set up. I don't know if this ever actually happened in airports or anywhere, but if you return to cart... Like Aldi, right? It's just, it's like Aldi, yeah. But Aldi is like a, but that's... I guess it's your own quarterback. You put the, it's your own quarterback. Okay, I guess I didn't realize so what, that. And so that's exactly what it is. So it's people who just, they don't care about the quarter, so they're not, they're just going to leave their cart wherever. They would rather he goes leave and the their quarter. Yeah, they, like it's worth the price of a quarter to yeah. just leave it wherever they want. So he's collecting oh. these like stray carts. Yeah, but that's like capitalism, right? Like he is, he's like, oh, I'm finding this one thing that nobody wants to do and I'm the one willing to do it and I'm going to make money because people are essentially paying me to do this, right? Whether it's the market the airport, inefficiency. Yeah, whether it's the, the airport the or the people themselves, that, that quarter is coming out to him for doing the work they didn't want to do. And that's also, capitalism. There's this really also very funny part in that where he's going around like right at the beginning when he's collecting them. And there's these two like little kids yes. playing on like on the bottom of one, and he's like, "You go, go," and, and then they don't move, and he just goes over, and he just like he jumps just, it over, and they completely fall them. out, and then pats him on the head, and, and then pats him on the head, and then just moves along. I feel like <laughs> movies wouldn't do that anymore. Just have your main character just completely dump two children on the ground. But well, and you know, it, it, going back with the idea of you know that being a sort of microcosm of capitalism, it's also then he gets stopped by from doing it, right? So this external force, the thinly veiled external allegory for government, which is the actual government in this case, is coming in and saying, hiring somebody to do this job for likely less money than what the character was making, collecting all these things, just so that that guy couldn't do it. And it's just, it, it was so petty and dumb, and that stuff happens all the damn time. Look at twitter right now right <laughs> i mean that's the kind of that kind of stuff happens all the time so i actually that brings me i think that's a very good segue to something that i want to talk about with the terminal and it's interesting that you uh, i hadn't even thought about it for the martian but talking about how like all the country's resources are devoted to getting uh matt damon back uh, which they strangely are a lot uh in movies um i Kind of have this theory, and I this is sort of the uh, epiphany I had when I rewatched this movie during the pandemic, is I think the terminal was actually very ahead of its time, and the country was in a place when this movie. When I say the country, the United States of America was in a place when this movie was released that it was never going to be received in the way that it was supposed to be received, because. What this is is a a very putting a very human face and human story on immigration, and not just with the Tom Hanks character, but with all the supporting characters and the bureaucracy that holds people up from getting into this country. And these people who come from these other places, these war torn places, who, regardless of all the faults of America, believe in the idea of this country. And this movie came out 
in a post 9-11 world, right within a year of us uh, launching uh, the war in Iraq. And I think there was just kind of a um, kind of a general ambiance of not really caring about outsiders and immigrant and certainly bringing people into this country. A post 9-11 world was something that we looked much more closely at and we didn't really see it from an immigrant's side. Um, and it played so much different for and I watched it during the pandemic because, uh, not to be too political, but we were also uh, in, a, in a point in our country where we were being perhaps led by someone or a arm of the government that said that we should put America first and we should be very, you know, there's kind of a xenophobia and we should be afraid of outsiders and fear was really what permeated kind of the national consciousness. And this movie, I think, really um, speaks against that. And it really puts this human face on immigration. And again, not just on all these obstacles and hoops that immigrants have to jump through to get into this country, but that they want to. That, that people come from other places because they really, really want to. There's something about this country that they, um, that they want to see. In this instance, the Tom Hanks character has this. I'm also, I really nerd out over this. And if you didn't know, like, it's kind of one of those things, I think maybe it, people didn't know enough about it, but there's this famous photograph called A Great Day in Harlem, which has um, like all of these famous jazz musicians. And of course, that's the plot of the movie that he sort of reveals as he's trying to get the last autograph um, of this person um, who and it's the guy plays himself. Who is it? Um, Benny Golson. Benny Golson. Yep. Um, and he plays himself. And when I was in high school, I wasn't even familiar with the photograph. It didn't really mean anything to me. I went to college. I actually took a great jazz in cinema course. Um, and I became much more familiar with the photograph. And jazz is kind of this uniquely American invention. And I feel like his desire to get that last autograph really represents some of the best of what this country can be and the idea of what this country can be. I don't know your thoughts on that. That's one of my profound thoughts of the day is that I just feel like this movie was way ahead of its time and it it was never going to find the audience it needed to find in that immediate post 9-11 world. I think that's a really astute point. I had never thought about it that way. And I do think if you if you were to make that movie today, I think there would there would be things that would be different about it. But I do think that there's a world where I think they would have in some of the some of the areas where the movie was was intentionally trying to criticize, I think, I guess I, I the caveat is I I don't know if Spielberg would go further than he did because he's always been Spielberg and that's he he kind of toes that line just as a matter of course. But if a different director perhaps took it and and the parts where there was an intentional criticism, you know, I think if it's made today, those would go harder than they did, at, you know, twenty years ago. And I think they would be better received, even, even if, even as you know, pushing further. So I, I do agree with that point. That's really interesting. And well, and I don't think you know to illustrate your point, Jeff. Like I don't think it would be Tom Hanks in, no, in the starring no. role. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, this like is like Phoenix or something like that. Yeah, like it, it's gonna be you know, or I mean, it's just gonna be a person of color, or there's almost gonna be kind of this direct cinema where they actually hire like an actual person who has a, a real immigrant story. Yeah, who they kind of put almost in sort of this fictional version of themselves. 
it would be a hard sell today, I think, to put like big movie star Tom Hanks in this role where he yeah. plays a, a lowly Eastern European immigrant. Um, it worked at the time. And again, I think it speaks to really important themes, but I, I agree with you. I think it would be made differently today. I absolutely agree. I think part of the reason, uh, to be clear, this is me speculating based off some of the reviews I read from the time period kind of opened my eyes to this. And then also just the sheer fact that the story it's based off of is an Iranian man. But, uh, you know, I think the fact that they made him Eastern European, sure, they got Tom Hanks. So he's, even though it was the early 2000s, they're not going to go full quote unquote brown face. Right. (laughs) But it, it makes it, I think to a certain segment of the country, a little bit more palatable to have a white man challenging authority. You know, imagine if it had been a Middle Eastern, a person of color. I, and, I, was, and... I was just about to say, like, it could not have been an Arab. Like, right. if, it, not, if it would have been an Arab, this movie would, before, this right? would have courted huge controversy. Right. And it just wouldn't it, have. It's crazy. But yeah, you, it this movie is, I think you're right, inseparable from the time period in which it was made. Also, just because it was post 9-11 and the, the security apparatus had stepped up so much around airports. I mean, not to sound like a a baby boomer or something. But before that, you know, you could just walk right onto the plane pretty much. And and here it's, it's very much there's security everywhere. They're, they're tracking everything. They're watching it. Um, that's very profound about what you were saying about immigration and what that means for America. Um, yeah, I never quite, well, I only seen it two times. And so it, you know, I thought about it a bit in that context this time, but not nearly as deeply as you did. And I think that's a very good point. You're making me reconsider my choice little foreshadowing here so that's a that's a good a good well, argument you know it's a good argument when it's making you rethink your ultimate conclusions so before before we get off the characterization category there's something i do want to bring up and it's something that's been unintentional to our the starting of this podcast that has been an unintentional unintentional theme throughout nearly every episode and that's the, the treatment of women oh yeah characters in both these movies by both these directors and i want to say that i do not think these are shining moments for either director in terms of um how they are and i i think that that is no reflection on the actresses involved i think they all did the best with the material that they have but i just don't think that they're given all that much to do and in a valuable way like i want to start with the terminal because I, the Catherine Zeta-Jones character, like, she is a fantastic actress, right? But, and she does really well with a really weird, sort of spotty, weirdly written and poorly developed character. And she does the best she can with it. But the movie kind of falls apart for me whenever she's on screen. And it's, they introduce this sort of romantic element and then like the whole point is that she's a mess and she says i'm such a mess you know in the movie and it's just like this huge thing that it's so cliche and it's so dumb and the only reason that it doesn't completely destroy the movie is because Catherine zeta jones is good enough to save it but man it just the the all the interactions and everything it just it didn't feel authentic to me and part of what makes the terminal work is even though there's this ridiculous accent that Tom Hanks is using and it's Tom Hanks as an Eastern European, but 
it feels genuine and authentic to himself, right? Like he plays it that way. And it's something that Tom Hanks is, is one of the few people who can bring to a role like that. But just those interactions, and, and there's, there is that level of authenticity between him and the Zoe Saldana character and Diego Luna's character. And even uh, Chai McBride, I think is the name of the, um, the other guy. And I'm not sure what the, the, the janitor, what his, what his name was, the actor, but um, you know, the, there, there is that, that, level of, of genuineness between all that but just it that falls apart for me with with the scenes between he and Catherine zeta jones and 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 her character and it just that i'm like cringing when she's on screen i think that's kind of the point but i also think it's it's even it's it's worse than what the intention was behind it and so I, that it bothered me about about the, it, it bothered me at the time i saw it originally and it bothered me again and it and it especially bothers more as as a through line to what we've kind of been talking about this whole season. Yeah, I think that I I agree the romance is very forced. I don't think that I because I I've been very critical of Spielberg's treatment of women. I don't I I just don't think she has a lot to do. I don't think this is his worst depiction of women on screen. I, I guess I'll say that. I think that Catherine Zeta Jones' character is flawed and she can be kind of an airhead but at the same time she you know like you said jeff like she just doesn't have a lot to do and i think Catherine zeta jones carries that about as far as she is able to carry it i agree the romance between them is a little forced i like at the movie i think in a weird way because it's so forced i think a strength of the movie is that they are not together at the end i think that would have been really forced and way too hollywood um so i I appreciate them not going for that low-hanging fruit i just kind of feel like she's kind of one and this is like one of those things where it's like spielberg almost goes out of his way to like not depict female characters so i don't know if this movie is really all that different if she's not in the movie at all but then like do we criticize it for being like man there's really not that many female characters in the you know like I guess it's maybe he's trying something different here. It just again, there's there's no journey for her, right? And the all the other side characters have a journey that they go through, and even if it's not super pronounced, it's there. And hers, it does not. And I, maybe that's the point. But if it's a if it is the point, it's a shitty one. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and it just yeah, it, it's un yeah, it's not as worst. I will agree with with that. Um, but. Yeah, it is something where she only exists to service some aspect of Novorsky's character. And that's just, it just doesn't work. And I think, and I love Tom Hanks. I adore Tom Hanks. And I, I really like Catherine Zeta-Jones. They have no chemistry. None. It, that, that's that's totally part of the problem. Part of the reason that it's distracting. Yeah, yeah, like they just, there is no chemistry between those two actors. And they're two really good actors. And it's just, it. There's a chemical imbalance there that does not work in this movie <laughs> at all. I don't have much to add. I, to me, you raise an interesting point. If she hadn't been in it, would we then be criticizing the lack of a strong female lead? But to me, the whole romance subplot just needlessly makes the movie bog down. The movie, to me, totally bogs down in the like the back third. I think they could, I say this a lot, but they could have cut, you know, 20, 30 minutes from this movie and had a nice, a lot tighter story that would have been more satisfying to me. Once this movie climaxes in the, to me, the climax is the, the goat scene, the the goat medicine scene. But then 
we still have 30, 40 minutes of him and her, will they, won't they, the the whole wedding and subplot with all of that going on uh, with Diego Luna and Zoe Saldana. And then there's about 15 endings, kind of like Return of the King. It just, it, it meanders. And I think a big part of that is this subplot that we're talking about for all the reasons you guys mentioned. But yeah, I can... The, Another thing we didn't explicitly say about her character, but she only exists really in relation to men. She, we first see her, she's chasing after a married guy who she's, she's dating and the whole, her whole internal conflict, I guess they flesh it out a little bit later on when she, at the dinner, when she talks about, you know, Hey, am I, what am I doing with my life and all this, but it's still kind of in relation to this man, you know what? She is just having a relationship with a married guy, and that is kind of her main personality trait, aside from she's clumsy and forgets things. And, yeah, she doesn't get much to do, but she, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones is a fine actress, fine actor, and she does a good job with that, but it's needless, it's pointless. It shouldn't be in the movie, the whole whole bit. Yeah, and then, then you go on the flip side to The Martian, right? And you've got another, like a not even just one, a bevy of a talented actresses, right? Jessica Chastain just won an Oscar like two years ago. And Kate Mara has been nominated for an Oscar. And Kristen Wiig is a fantastic, uh, fantastic actress, even, you know, when it's not comedy. But they're in The Martian. Like, the thing that always struck me about this, right? Okay, if you've ever seen any of the footage from, like, the International Space Station or any space shuttle or something, right, and you see a woman astronaut, Okay, they're always like, um, you know, super buttoned up in their suit, just like any other any other astronaut. They've got their their hair is usually in a very tight like ponytail type of thing, and and it looks almost military like, and the way they are. But like, you know, whether it's Jessica Chastain or Kate Mara, whoever on this massive space vessel that they've been on, you know, for weeks and months, that traveling from Mars, and they're just their hair is perfectly volumized and it's perfectly styled and all this stuff. And I know part of that, I suppose is a little bit of the, you know, movie or whatever, but it just, it it felt off to me that it's like, okay, you're trying to bring all this science in here and do all this realistic stuff. How's this, how does a guy survive on Mars with nothing, with nobody? Right. And then you've got this spaceship of people and they're all just, they, they might as well be on earth with how they're, how they're going about their lives and there's no challenges that they have on this spaceship every challenge is, is dealt with at the earth level and and jessica chastain is the captain and she doesn't even feel like she's making the decisions you know she's, she's like i want to leave it up to the crew and i guess you know I, you, I can see a a scenario where you you might be having that or whatever but i feel like in a very structured environment like that you know your captain's going to be like no 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 i'm i'm making the decision and this is and it just if that was a male character, I don't know if they would have handled it differently. And I don't know how it was in the book or anything like that, but um, you know, all those things. And then like at the end, you know, the, the Kate Mara character, I think that was the Kate Mara shown with a baby, you know, like she just gave birth where it's just like, I mean, I guess that's a happy moment that shows like, Oh, they got back, you know, but it still kind of harkens back to like, Oh, maybe women should only be having babies or something. And it's just, it, it it was all stuff that just didn't quite it's like this could have been handled a little bit better and they didn't again they didn't feel like they had 
as much to do. And some of that goes to the men as well, because some of the men that are on the ship, you know, like the Michael Pena character had a lot, but there was, I don't even remember, I don't even know the name of the other actor. I think he's like Russian or something, but he he didn't really do anything either, you know? So some of that is just the fact that they have so many so many more characters in this movie. But I don't know. Did you guys feel that same way too? Did you feel like that, that there was better representation and uh, in, in The Martian? Yes, I, I'm going to hard disagree with you on this. I think... So none of the supporting characters in The Martian are really given a ton to do beyond their, their role and their job duty. There's, you know, a little bit of characterization um, and pathos, but for the most part, you know, it's a Matt Damon show. But that being said, Jessica, Jessica Chastain's character specifically, you make valid points about the hair. I didn't even think about that. But, you know, Sebastian Stan, you're forgetting about Sebastian Stan, by the way is also on there, and he's got perfectly quaffed hair as well, <clears throat> um, and a nice five o'clock shadow at all times in space. So does the, the Russian guy, or the Swedish guy, German? I, I don't know. Eastern European. It's all the same, right? Please don't cancel this. Um, but Jessica Chastain's character does make hard decisions as the captain. In the very first five minutes, I don't know where you were, Jeffrey, but she literally orders them to scrub the whole goddamn mission that they've been planning for their entire, you know, professional lives because of this, the rockets tilting and it, it hits a threshold and they try to get her to not do it. They meaning some Airport. of the other crew members, including Matt Damon, the guy, he's like, come on, let's do it. Um, that, that old cowboy, Matt Damon, just shooting off at the hip. But, but she says, no, I'm, you know, I'm putting the mission uh, and the crew's lives above that. And then she stays out there on her own looking for Matt Damon and orders the rest of the crew to go back and and leave her. Um, yeah, I think she shows quite a bit of leadership. And I think she they give her a really good character. She, you know, that character could be written as a man or a woman, basically. Um, and that's really true kind of equality, right? I mean she she nails it as a strong confident person and she just so happens to be a woman now representation matters so i'm glad that she is a woman in this and you know showing that anybody could be a captain and, and you know make these hard decisions so i love that i think specifically her character i think it's not ridley or excuse me ripley but <clears throat> uh, ridley scott ridley whatever um but you know that's also just because she's not the main character so the Kate Mara thing, I kind of see what you're saying about the baby, but that's a, it's sort of a subplot that got that was in the book quite a bit. That kind of sort of, I mean, the, at one point they explicitly show Sebastian Stan and her kiss through the visor, but in the book they like fall in love on the mission and later get married and have this kid afterwards. It's never really explicitly said that's what's happening here on in the movie, you know. Aside from that, and that's him at the end, who's he's the father. So it's it's kind of the culmination of this this through this through line this subplot. So that's why I guess it doesn't it didn't hit me as as negative as I guess it did for you because it's not just some random dude that she had a kid with. You know, it's it's they're showing that the they're tying up loose ends from the crew's life. But I kind of get what you're saying on that. That's I think that's valid. But I definitely think this is miles and way better than. Uh, the terminals representation of women. You also got Mackenzie Davis, who's awesome, and she's very competent and very good at her job. She's the one that you know figures out what's going on. 
she's tasked with huge responsibility. At one point, Sean Bean said, or not Sean Bean, uh, um, Jeff Daniels says, you know, I'm giving you entire operational control of all the satellites around Mars without, you know, thinking twice. You know, I don't know. But, that's, but it's still like presented for the Mackenzie Davis character. It's just kind of like a, like a, it's just plot points though, right? Like it, there's, there's no, she doesn't really get a ton of characterization or sort of emotional journey or anything. Not that you necessarily have to have one or can have one for every supporting character, sure. but there's, it's still just like, you know, yeah. Okay. Sean Bean barks this order, but it's like the, the, the takeaway from that, at least kind of how I read it, is just that he has the power to give this to somebody else. And so he gives it to somebody who's, well, I mean, he's the you, director in charge. So I don't want it. You know, you take care of this while I go do this other important stuff. Uh, because see, the real, see, that's, the real, that the wasn't point. what it was though. But then the real hero is is the Donald Glover character, right? Because all of a sudden we've never seen this guy before, and then yeah. we're like, "Oh, let's talk to Rich Parnell or whatever his name is," and you know, then he wakes up and then he saves the entire mission out of nowhere, and he hardly says fifteen words. And it's like, well, this other woman who you talk about is very like she's just okay. Here, take the satellites. And, I agree. And oh. in terms of numbers representation, there are there are way more men secondary characters. Yeah, and, um, that, that that goes back to the book. Yeah, they probably should have changed it in the screenplay. That represents, you know, systemic issues with representation in society and Hollywood. So I'll give you all that. But the women that we do see, I think, are very strong, very capable, presented in very in a very positive light. And I I, I definitely agree that it's better than Terminal, but uh, especially because Terminal only had the one. Well, I guess Zoe Saldana's character too, but she didn't really get much either. But um, but also then you know you've got like the Kristen Wiig character. She, yeah, she's not given a lot to do. And she's mostly just there to be almost sort of like ditzy-like, even though she's in this very high up position in NASA, but she's just there so that she can ask a question so that they can explain it to her, but it's really explaining it to the audience. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, she's an audience cipher. Like that, and she's the person who's can translate, you know, ask these questions us dumb non-science people can. But then it becomes distracting because you everyone knows Kristen Wiig. And then it's like, well, why do you have this person in this role, right? Why don't I just get some no name or something if you're going to make it that unimportant? Kristen Wiig is very, very difficult for me because I absolutely adore her. It is very difficult for me to watch her in anything serious where she is trying to be serious. And that's just a personal thing. I, like, grew up, like, she was right in my wheelhouse on SNL, like, when I was in my late teens and through my 20s. And she's one of my favorite SNL cast members of all time. I struggle to lose her in any kind of semi-serious role in the way that I should. Um, so that that's that's very particular to like that actress playing that character. I think I'm kind of in the middle of you guys. Um, <clears throat> I think The Martian is better in its representation of women. Um, I'm not so sure that I lean to either side. I think that I, I think that women are just cast in these female roles and in the Martian, and they fill them out in the best way that they possibly can, as as the screenplay allows. Um, I'm not sure they're overly confident or strong or or competent in the way Steve is saying, but at the same time, I don't think that they're just complete pushovers. Not that Jeff is saying they're pushovers, but that they don't have a lot to do. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the middle. 
I would almost think that that's like a tie in terms of like <laughs> how we talk about it. It's definitely better than the terminal. I agree with all of you that it's, you know, the Martian is, is better than the terminal in that regard. I totally, I can agree with what you're saying and Jeff, what even, you know, kind of your, like we just talked about some of your complaints, but with one exception, the Jessica Chastain character, to me, she's the one that really is like, they even make comments about how she's like, you know, such a, uh, tough you know she's she knows what she's doing she's competent she's she's a tough leader she's not gonna let you bullshit i don't know i think her character in particular is a very good example of i think like they talk about her that way but i didn't i just don't see it play like the the beginning scenes i kind of i kind of forget about where you're right she makes we're only throwing away five years of our life to to put the the life over them but like I don't know the the scenes where they're making the decision about whether or not they should go back and they're talking the discussions and everything. And, and she's like saying like, Oh, don't say that or whatever. And she's kind of giggling. I don't know. Maybe she's just joking or whatever, but it's like, if she's some hard ass or whatever, and you're in a life or death situation and your captain says, don't say that. I mean, I don't know that I care who you are. I, I'm not going to say it. And they all just kind of like, whatever, I'm going to say it anyway. And then, you know, go behind her back and they do these, this plot. Like they, it's just, I don't know. They don't go behind her back. They do it with her knowledge. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, they go behind, uh, NASA's uh, back. Yeah. Back. She's integral yeah. in okay. the easy, easy. You will not blaspheme Jessica Chastain on this. Hey, nobody loves Jessica Chastain on this podcast more than me. I promise you that, but I'm just saying your boy did her dirty on this movie. I see. I totally no, disagree. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. It, but, it really. I do think. I do think. Um, it's screenplay is the problem. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Or casting. Like some of these people where their gender is irrelevant. They, you know, why not add more women? Yeah. But. All right. Where are we? I, I'm curious. What you, I, I'm curious where you guys are going to land this week because I have a very definitive answer this week, but. I want to hear yours first this week and then come through with my professor knowledge and knock you both down if I have to. All right. Jeff, would you like to start? I'm very curious. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the Martian. And I do that because um, I think that it's just a better movie overall. And I think it's both movies, I think, are actually really like watchable and rewatchable. I think that's a good thing about both of them. But specifically, I think with The Martian is I, I think there's a very clear sort of arc. And the you know, we know whether whether I like it or not with some of the characters, you know, we know where they start and where they end up. And the there's this little sort of ambiguity about the terminal that there is intentionality behind that, but there's also, I think it's just kind of like, they just kind of ran out of ideas almost. It feels like, and I'm just, I'm just kind of like, that's it. Like what, what exactly are they trying to say? Like, there's some things that we talked about, you know, whether it's capitalism, immigration, that sort of thing. And, and that's after kind of 20 years of cooking on it. We've, we've been able to come up with those sorts of things to talk about, but you know, overall, like, especially with, some of these threads they set up, you know, there's like the Diego Luna Zoe Saldana 
relationship, right? They just get married. He's the man of mystery for her, but like she's literally never met the guy and Tom Hanks's character gives her a, a wedding ring. Yeah, that was yes. I feel like we missed a few steps there, right? Yeah, so it's like what sort of state is she in that she's going to say yes to that? And why does why does he think that's a good idea in the first place? Diego Luna's character. So you know, stuff like that could have been maybe fleshed out a little bit more and it would have felt like a more complete film, but it just as it stands, you know, it just kind of feels like there's a little bit there's something missing to it. Not that it's just there any specific specific scene that I think they should have filmed or something like that, but just the whole thing comes together and you're just kind of like it feels like that extra piece is missing whereas the Martian has just a just fantastically satisfying conclusion to it to you know throughout and you get um you get that kind of ending and you get that sort of both of these are feel good to an extent but i don't know seeing matt damon back on earth and then teaching a class at nasa for prospective astronauts about hey here's how you deal with what i went through or what you could be going through right that hits me and makes me feel really good to a much greater degree than Tom Hanks getting that final signature for um, the jazz musician that the last jazz musician of his father, you know, like I admit, I still get emotional thinking about that because you know, that that's a, that family father, son type relationship is very powerful. But then to the same degree, I also felt a little bit more manipulated by the terminal and how it used some of the emotions and this goes back to the Catherine Zeta Jones character again, right? Like how she was set up and that whole relationship was set up. There's, there's felt like there was some sort of a subtle emotional manipulation there that, that I don't think Spielberg needs to go there. He's too talented to try and go to that. Well, and it just didn't, it didn't, didn't come together as a great, as that great of a film for me, even though I, I quite enjoyed it. But then I look at The Martian and I'm like, this is a fantastic movie. You know, Steve, you said at the beginning, seven Oscars, like should have been nominated for every one of them, probably more. So I'm gonna go with The Martian this week. Uh, I won't keep you hanging. I'm also going with The Martian, as I, I hinted at. I feel like the deck's kind of stacked um, against the terminal on this because The Martian is one of my favorite movies. But for all the reasons we've talked about, I think it's A, a better movie, and B, better represents the nature of the theme stranded now part of that is just the circumstances of the movies right like we talked about the stakes are so much higher if matt damon steps outside of his hab without helmet on he literally dies his blood boils and he dies if tom hanks goes outside the door when a security guard is not looking you know he's committed a crime arguably but he's the the literal atmosphere around him is not going to destroy his his life um, I also think the, you know, what is, why do we want to watch a stranded movie in any, any case, right? Why do we, why do these movies inspire us? Robinson Crusoe, things like that. And I think the Martian, while, while both characters, you know, they continue to try and they, they work the problem and whatever it is pops up and they, they keep, for the most part, they keep positive. They just keep moving forward, which is. You know, that's the most human thing we can do, right? It's like, the world sucks, things are bad, shit happens, but you put one foot in front of the other and you just keep going, you keep going, you know? And to me, The Martian, because, maybe because of the way they attack it with the science and, you know, breaking everything down, uh, you know, here are the problems, we have to solve X, Y, and Z. To me, that better encapsulates that. You know, 
the Matt Damon, the bit at the end, Matt Damon's character, when he, he's telling that class of astronauts, he's, he's telling them you know, what to do if a situation like that happens. It's like, of course I thought I was going to die, but there's no use, you know, sitting there and, and wallowing in that, basically. It's, let's work, let's work the problem, figure out what we can do. And you just keep doing that, and you keep solving problems until you either get home or you don't. You do what you can to control what you can, right? And you try not to worry about the rest of it. And that's along with the hard work of a lot of people and the resources of entire two nations, right? Um, get him home. Whereas the terminal, the central conflict, now this is really reductive, but the central conflict is guys trapped in terminal because of international circumstances, right? That problem is solved without any, he doesn't do anything. Krokosia winds up reverting back to some sort of republic or whatever. Now, there's the whole thing about him, you know, he still has to leave the terminal and all that. So it's not as easy as, oh, you can leave now, you know, and, and that has a nice bow on it. So I'm not knocking it too much for that, but. The real stranded was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I mean, that's 100% accurate in the terminal, right? Um, anyway, for all those reasons, going with The Martian. And Ridley Scott, by the way, this is the most Ridley Scott movie. It's got beautiful vistas. The opening scene is kind of like Prometheus, the opening shots of Mars, I thought, with the music and the way he's, he's zooming around the mountains. And Ridley Scott loves nothing more than competence. This movie is competence porn, and it, Ridley Scott is here for it. Um, well, I'm going to go down this week, but I'll do it swinging. Um, my, my pick is The Terminal, and I think... Uh, so something I'll say about both films, this is really interesting... Last week, when we talked about Lincoln and American Gangster, we said that both of these films, they don't bolster either filmmaker's legacy, but at the same time, they don't diminish it either. But we all kind of admitted that we just didn't really like those movies. We didn't like rewatching them. I really love both of these movies. And even though I think they both do the same thing, I don't think they bolster either filmmaker's legacy nor diminish it. Um, I just simply like watching both of these movies more. I agree that The Martian is a less flawed film. It's structurally a more sound film. I think The Terminal goes to highs and tries, and Spielberg tries to do things that he hasn't done before in a much grander and more profound way. The final scene of this movie where he... uh, finally gets to the jazz club and he meets Benny Golson who plays himself and he sees him there for that moment playing jazz and how that moment in that instance it represents his American dream and it represents everything that he wants America to be everything the idea that America is it is one of my favorite moments of the movies my hot take hot hot take for the week is I actually think that this is both Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks's most underrated movie in both of their catalogs. I think if Great I were ranking them, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't have this written out, and maybe one day I will write this out. It is certainly not Spielberg's best film, and I wouldn't say that it's not in his top five. I think that this is maybe in his top ten. And if I were to if I were to write them out, I think I would probably put this in in his top ten. I think it is a severely underrated film. I think it hits in a much different way. And again, as I talked about earlier, just 
human side of, of immigration and in particular what immigrants who are coming to this country, the, that idea that they believe in of what this country represents to them, I think this movie encapsulates that in a really, really beautiful way. And it does it in a number of ways, but I, when you get to that final scene and he finally meets Benny Golston and he gets to see him play jazz, it is just one of those moments. And again, I'm an easy mark. I actually, Jeff, I agree with you that I am being manipulated. I, I, I This movie has some cinematic kind of magical moments, and I recognize that I am being manipulated. I mean, that's what um, movies are about, right? It, it is. And this is, and this is Spielberg hits the part where he, and again, I agree that the romance is very forced, but the, the scene immediately preceding where they kiss, where he explains what he's doing and he lays out the picture talks about his father and how his father would write these letters and nuns would translate it into English and he got all these signatures and she says, and you did, you're here that's the whole reason you're here is to get this one signature for your father who's not even alive anymore and Tom Hanks in his accent says I'm thinking he would do the same for me. It just it's everything, you know, it's just those moments go a little bit higher for me. I'm acknowledging that it is a more flawed film than The Martian, but there are some moments that when I rewatched this during the pandemic at that time in history, and there was kind of that xenophobia permeating a lot of society, what Spielberg here is saying about what this country can be and being in a jazz club, the most unique of of all of all American inventions, it's just really beautiful. I I'm tearing up a little talking about it. I, I teared Can up I a little. My vote? I I I, te <laughs> I I teared up a little watching it. And Martian, the Martian. You're is basically great. like Lincoln right now, making a yes. speech. I, I I I love I love the Martian. I, I'm not saying the Martian is a bad movie at all. I love that movie too, and I think that movie kind of speaks to an ideal of of science and technology that we can aspire to. I just think that when it talks about those ideas, I think the terminal has a few moments where it goes to a a, a, a different a different place that is a little bit higher, and Spielberg shows the superiority a, a, a little bit, and I, I really love it, and I think it's beautiful. I am fine losing this week, but like I said, as I just I think demonstrated uh, pretty well, I went down swinging, and I'm I'm. I'm very satisfied with what my vote is. I vote the terminal this week. It's actually kind of funny because I felt like it was similar last week with you two voting for American Gangster and me taking Lincoln for very similar reasons. Yeah, yeah, you, I can kind of see that. Know. I think it. Yeah, I just I like. That's what I'm saying. Is like if I were to rank them, I like this movie more than Lincoln. I like it more than Catch Me If You Can. I probably like it more than Minority Report, which I which is a movie that I oh, love. Wow. Um, on a personal level, I I, I mean. I think I maybe even like uh, like it more than all the Indiana Jones except for Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, I really, really love this movie, and I'm acknowledging its flaws. Certainly, the treatment of women and the Catherine Zeta-Jones character, which I've you know we've highlighted and talked about this whole season. But man, when it when it hits those points of this is what this country could be, and this is what it means to the people who aren't here who are trying to get in, it's it's pretty powerful. It means a lot to me. Well, you, you've certainly made me appreciate the movie a lot more. I mean, I, I'm being sincere. I, 
when I watched it again, I, I don't think I looked at it with as much of a critical lens as I could have, obviously. And uh, to me, it was an easy pick uh, until I started listening to your thoughts. So I appreciate I that. That's, that's I, what I love about this podcast. Yeah. And I will say my personal experience is maybe creating a little bit of a bias for me and pulling at my heartstrings probably a little bit more. I, I have had students and my wife has had students in our public schools who are immigrants. And I have sat with and heard some absolutely horrific stories of young people and getting to this country and what they, I mean, they're, I mean, they literally, my wife has told these stories of these immigrant parents who come into her classroom and it is literally like a cathedral to them. They will come into a child's classroom and look their mouths agape at all the things that like public education is provide. I mean, it is, it is in every way, the embodiment of like what they did to get here so that they're, and so I remember a lot of those stories and that kind of hits me in a different way. Not that that would not hit you guys in that same way. We all have different experiences, but I know that I'm speaking a little bit uh, from my students' perspective as well. Uh, some of my students' perspective as well, when I, I talk about that American idea and what we can be. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah, that's that's definitely like because I I from when I saw the terminal in theaters, I remember just what we talked about at the beginning of the show. You know, I I liked it more than I think the critical reception agreed to at the time. So you know, I've definitely always liked both movies. Uh, but yeah, so good place to end it for this week, and that brings our tally now. Ridley Scott with a commanding lead now. Seven to five, right? Can, We've got. Can we run through them again because I Absolutely. I was mistaken. I thought it was Spielberg, up, but you guys are better. So, tally. week one, Ridley Scott duelists beat Duel. Week two, Spielberg's Jaws beat Alien. Week three, Spielberg Schindler's List beat Gladiator. Week four, The Counselor from Ridley Scott beat Spielberg's 1941. <laughs> Week so five. So wait. So just to, yeah, as we're kind of going. So that's now two to two. Two to two. Yeah. Uh, week five. Prometheus and Alien Covenant beat Jurassic Park and the Lost World. How did that happen? Um. Well, because playing God, right? Yeah. Like yeah, the, yeah. No. I. I, I was actually I, looking I back with at some you. of these. I made yeah. a big fuss about it. I voted Spielberg that week, so that's <laughs> on you guys. <laughs> but I, I look back. There are a couple of these that I really struggle with, and had it not been for the theme, I think I might have gone. Like I might go. Yeah. The other way, you, and using the answers. theme as tiebreaker certainly colors things. Yeah. So next is week six, uh, Minority Report, Spielberg beating Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Three three. Uh, seven was Spielberg's Bridge of Spies beating Ridley Scott's Body of Lies. Week eight was Ridley Scott's Thelma and Louise beating Sugarland Express from Spielberg. They were tied four to four. Week nine was Spielberg Saving Private Ryan beating Black Hawk Down. Uh, and then week 10, Matchstick Men takes over Catch Me If You Can. Now, that's a hard one for me right there. That's one where, like, when I look back and I'm like, man, you know, if not for the specific theme, I might choose Catch Me If You Can. But anyway, uh, and then last week, American Gangster beating Lincoln, which I fought you guys on. And then this week we got The Martian. So Ridley Scott's wow. been on a hot streak here. Wow. A two-week so, yeah. two hot streak. <laughs> three weeks. Three <laughs> weeks in a row. Matchstick Men, American Gangster, and Martian. Last three weeks. So it's the biggest... To quote the comparable 
John Candy from a masterpiece of the film Rookie of the Year. That brings the Cubs up to their longest win streak of the year. <laughs> Who? Yes. Um, yeah, so, but will it continue? Next week, our theme is um, going home slash growing up, right? We will have E.T., the extraterrestrial from Steven Spielberg, one of the most famous movies of all time. And a lesser, much lesser known movie, but <laughs> White Squall from Ridley Scott. Okay, so this should be an interesting one. Obviously, White Squall made ten million dollars at the box office. White Squall has some ground <laughs> to make up here. But again, we talk about a theme, right? So, is does White Squall, regardless of how much money it made, better encapsulate the theme? Who knows? We'll see. So we've got we got two weeks left. So Spielberg's got to win both these weeks if he even wants a chance. Or I should, we have three weeks left, but uh, we have kind of a special one for the third week we'll, we'll talk about later. But So Spielberg has to win the next two weeks if he even wants a chance going into that final week. So we'll see how this goes. But um, yeah, so that is next week. So until then, thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, if, if you have any thoughts or whatever, hit us up on the socials. Steve, you want to run those? Sure. You can email us at duelofthegreats at gmail.com. We are on X, I guess, the Bird app, Twitter, whatever the that that hellhole is now, um, and the other major social medias at at Duel of the Greats. We're not on Threads yet. I tried to get us on there. I, I struggled. Maybe our tech guy can help us. Uh, and then TikTok. Nate's got quite the 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 TikTok content rolling out over there. I don't know if that's true, but we're we're at Duel Podcast. But yeah, if you have feedback, feel free to email us. Stop. Or let us know. And yeah, we'll be back next week with E.T. versus White Squall. Until then, uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.